sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Welcome back, listeners. This is Moving the Needle podcast, and I'm your host, Andrew Nietling. Thanks to everyone that downloaded and listened to episode one, and if you haven't done so, make sure you go back after this episode to do that. In this show, I look to pick apart the minds of top athletes and industry leaders so I can try pass that knowledge on to you. Let us talk about our next guest. Cam Zink is known as the modern-day evil Knievel and for pushing the boundaries of the sport of freeride. He has seen more highs and lows than probably anyone else. We got into where the drive comes from to keep progressing the sport he loves, breaking world records, and the mindset to focus at these global events. Enjoy, folks. Cam Zink, how are we doing? Fantastic, bro. Good to, good to be on the horn with you. I'm excited for this, man. Yes, for the podcast, but just to catch up, it's been far, far too long. Yeah, it's the it's kind of like the careers of mountain biking are almost somewhat like high school or something. And then you get get out, and everyone goes their separate ways, and uh, everyone, you know, hopefully would diversify and then and then make something cool like you're doing with the podcast and or other businesses, and it's. It's pretty cool to see everyone kind of go their separate way, but everyone still has the common bond like we spent four years in high school together or 10 years racing bicycles together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you take a step away from Crankworks and I'm still going to those, that's where we would have caught up post even you competing in slope style. And yeah, it is, you hope for those uh, little reunions along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I, I always try to explain to my wife or people you know, that's, you know, it, it's just a great opportunity to see the people that I don't get to see as often as I'd like, you know, cause they're arguably better friends than people you have at home, but they're, uh, it's yeah, just something deeper about friendship of people that you've met on the bike and, and shared a uh, common interest of essentially a favorite thing to do. And like a big piece of me. And so the, the community is definitely one of the biggest parts of that. And one of the most important pieces to, going to events and just getting to reconnect with all your friends and um, have some good times on the bike. Absolutely. We've got that common interest and passion, but I, I kind of look at it almost like you hear about those guys that bonded war. And, and I think uh, we're going to get into it later on, but seeing some of the things you've done and some of the injuries and, and going through those things, you feel like you've kind of gone to battle with with some of these friends. And I think that bonds you for a long time. So even when we haven't chatted for a year or six months or two weeks, it kind of feels like you just, you know, get on with it. And you, it's like you guys, uh, it's like we've seen each other last week kind of thing. Yeah, totally agree, man. Yeah. And, and the, the whole war aspects of it, not to, not to try to put, <laughs> no, make a false assumption that it's anything close to war or play it up like that, but it's uh it's our own war and it's definitely the, the heavy moments of your life that you share with other people. So there's a, a deeper, deeper bonding for sure. Absolutely. We've like been, been through some serious shit together. <laughs> there we have. Absolutely. No, I'm definitely not doing a full comparison there. But I'm, uh, I'm excited to get going. Obviously, I come from a race background. 
but you're known as the free rider. Uh, I think the modern day daredevil. I mean, you've been compared to evil Knievel, and I would think that's a very fair assumption and a modern day daredevil and nutter at it. But you started as a racer. So talk to me about starting in that racer mindset. I think that that's always been where I've been the most unique because you look at the, the people that are taking over free riding and I guess Kyle and I are pretty similar in that aspect, but there's the people that started racing, um, and stuck with racing and very few switched over. And then you have the people that started with slope style or big mountain riding or whatever, and didn't really take much time to race. So I feel like I have a weird skill set to where I'm, I have better bike handling skill and just overall coordination than most people in free riding. But I don't practice the tricks as often. I try to save it for when it really matters, try to mitigate injuries. And that's probably a lot to do with, uh, I guess, just the injury list that I've had early on in my career and, and just trying to stay safe and, and have some longevity and pick and choose your battles so the the repetition of getting tricks super dialed was never really too imperative to me, but mainly just due to the fact that I wanted to stay safe and try to just lay it on the line when it would, when it really mattered. And cause you only, when you're off for six months a year from, or more from rehab and injuries, then you end up like having to like really focus on key moments to kind of level up for your career, for your mind, for your own self-confidence, for just building yourself back up on the bike. And uh, most of the injuries usually come when you're kind of, you're not being lazy, but you're not hyper-focused, you know, and in the big events, they're always, you're, it's a different level of intensity and focus, same as racing. And, and you, you're less likely to get hurt, even though you're doing something that's probably, you almost always gnarlier than anything you do at home. Uh, But it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, I feel like I have really, really good bike handling skill. Uh, all contributed to growing up being a racer. And, but then also, uh, the, that, I think that's what's enabled me to step into free riding and, and do as well as I have. But I think, uh, yeah, the, the combination of, I guess, just the, my earlier years has what's led to, not forcing me to just send it like off of the biggest thing, but that's just where I saw my advantage. And I saw, I would see things that line up and if it, I'm always just trying to live up to my potential. And I've heard uh, some of the greatest competitors in any other sport say that same thing. You, Cause you can't just try to beat the next guy. You got to just live up to your own potential. And then the possibilities are endless, you know, cause what we're doing now, it wasn't even fathomable you know, five, 10 years ago. So you have to, you'd never get there if you were just competing in against the next guy. So you got to look for your own opportunities, look for your own strengths and try to block out the weaknesses and then just focus on where you can push yourself and inevitably the sport. Well, you definitely have pushed the sport. And I think I've coined this podcast, moving the needle and you've moved the needle just so far for the sport, but you spoke about that focus and then we might as well start getting into that. I mean, that clearly comes from a racer background. You, you know, you have to get focused before a race run. And it seems like you've mentioned that that's definitely played into your favor, getting some of these contest runs done and choosing lines. That that must have helped from coming from that racer background. Yeah, it's just, it's like, 
I can still remember the the race courses from when I was a kid, you know, like at Mammoth or Durango. And you remember every corner and every line. And, and I have a horrible memory. Like I have, but, but those things you've just focused so much on the task at hand, your whole weekend is dedicated to laying down run from A to B on this track and every nuance and, and little bump can make or break it, you know, cause talking about tenths of a second sometimes. So I think it's, it's definitely an advantage to grow up racing. And I always encourage people to, to, even if you're, if you're not trying to be a professional racer, just go race. And the best dirt bike riders and freestyle riders are always, always came from racing. It's no different in our sport. I think that there's just something that you can't replicate by not focusing on something for the whole weekend and, and bike control and bike skill and, uh, just, being perfect like being and even if and there's there's no real such thing as a the perfect race run but that's what you're striving for you know you're dedicating everything you can before the race um the week leading up to it practice and then you know the three minutes on the track are all all dedicated to trying to obtain the elusive perfect run but it's uh, it just keeps coming back because it doesn't exist so you just keep bettering yourself and, and just try to translate that same thing into free riding but where it got always a little like i just kind of touched on earlier it got weird because i wasn't able to really practice everything and get it like like a meal right now like has every trick you could think of to bolts like perfect foot position when he lands and no mistakes made and everything is to where it's almost impossible for him to fail because it's it's just it's like second nature it's just perfect but I don't think I was ever able to get to that mainly due to the injuries, but then I just kind of developed my own riding style of trying to flip or spin off the biggest thing. Cause that's what excited me. Um, I was always intrigued by the, like Carrie Hart doing the first double flip and then Pastrana land in the first double flip and then distance records and things like that. Um, so I guess I just drew inspiration from, from other areas and people. And, but it's kind of ironic that, like my favorite riders growing up were like Corey Bowen and Sean Butler, who are complete style masters and not huckers by any means, you know? So, uh, but that's, what's cool. That's, what's awesome about the sport is everyone has their own unique identity pedigree and characteristics and what, what makes it so much fun to watch. Well, you, you speak about some of your idols and, um, but what about your brother? You, you've got a super talented brother, Howie, and you spoke about trying to push yourself, but, uh, I watched your documentary, and we'll get to that a bit later. Your brother must have been pushing you. I mean, if it wasn't for him, do you think you'd be anywhere near the rider you are now? Probably not. You know, and and it's he never like directly pushed me. It was all just the brotherly. You know, I I guess not. It's not like envy, really. It's just you know they they keep you going. That you want you want to strive to you learn from your elders you learn from your parents you learn from your brother but then there's a point when you're just a pissed off teenager you don't want to listen to anyone but if someone's doing something and you just want to be better than them that's more motivating and and powerful than anything else that anyone could ever tell you so i think just by being his brother and him just being so naturally talented is what made me want to work harder to be better than him and it was so funny when we were younger we would go ride, uh, mainly ride BMX bikes just cause it was, it was so much easier. There weren't really trail many trails next to our house. So 
the way to get around if, before we had cars was just to leave from the house and go street ride and ride to the dirt jumps. But I would, I would ride for like a month and he wouldn't even be on the bike. He'd be, you know, hanging out with chicks or just living high school life or whatever it was. And then I'd be like, dude, I'm going to do this. He did this last time I got, I have all these things that I'm going to be able to do. I'm going to, I'm going to show him up the next time we go out. And then he'd be off the bike for a month and just like come ride and then just do a completely different like plethora of tricks and and level up and i'm like where did this come from dude like he just he's on the couch getting better like at a faster rate than i am while i'm riding like every day it was uh, pretty remarkable and then little things that like he rarely ever rode downhill and then i remember big bear we're waiting at the bottom for he's in junior expert it's been like jason cotting Ryan White and these dudes were like superstars. You know, they're they're putting up top twenty pro times, and they're in junior expert. And then this is Howie's like first legit junior X race. And Jason Cotting and Ryan White come down double this like it's kind of like a quad at the bottom, and no one else does it. Like all the fast dudes, and you see everyone starting to get slower, slower, slower. And then Howie comes down and just gaps it, and I was like one of the most proud moments I've ever had. Uh, of him and it just shows kind of i don't know it's in his genes i guess it's in my genes but like to be able to lay it on the line like that and even though he wasn't the fastest dude down the hill he had a skill to jump a jump that only two of the baddest dudes in the country were doing and not really even preparing for it not really even riding downhill or setting up his bike properly or anything like that just just sending it and it was uh yeah, pretty proud moment for sure. I mean, I don't know about, you know, jeans and you're born with it, but he sure seems like a guy. I mean, I think you need to work, and if you ride a lot, you can improve and, and become whatever you set out to be. But he definitely seems like a guy that has just natural talent and obviously a mental ability to just push himself. But talk to us about your attitude at contests. Your quotas are saying, I go out, I find the biggest obstacle and see what I can do off it. So you and you you you're named as calling out your tricks as soon as you get on site. I think that that's it's a, there's a little accountability to that too, like the, the extreme ownership and trying to if you if you I'm a man of my word and I've and I take pride in it and it kind of blows me away still to this day that like if I say something that people that don't believe me I'm like dude I've I'm I'm sticking to this. I said it. I have to do it. Or you know, even if it's not bike related. Um, so it's it's like, dude, you know who I am, and this is like whether whether you could say how good I am or whatever. That's debatable. But like when I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. And and that's the the accountability, I guess. Show up and then say I think this is possible. Your initial gut reaction before anything starts running your mind about consequences or 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 even how unlikely it is to, to get the win. Like maybe you could level it back a hair or two to try to, you know, get a podium or, or, you know, or guarantee a podium and potentially win. And I, I guess early on, I felt like whether or not I was getting screwed by the judges, I felt like I was. And, and in my opinion, I should have done a lot better in a lot of events. And so I, I just made up my mind that I have to go that much further in my own head to appease the judges. And at the same time, it's going to, it's going to make me a better rider. It's going to, it's going to turn a lot of heads and, and some of the, 
more some of the greater compliments I've ever gotten were that I'm the most exciting one to watch. Like in slope style days when there was different lines on the courses and there was different options. And I remember a few people had told me that like, you know, they're, they were watching the event and then when I'm up, then they got super excited because they never knew what I was going to do on, on slope events. But then like rampage and things like that, they already knew what I was going to do because it's been stewing on it for a week. And I told everyone I was going to do something at the beginning of the week, but it's, I, I guess it's it's like Babe Ruth, like pointing and swinging for the fences, and whether or not you hit a homer, and you you sure as hell went for it, and there's no shame in trying. And I'm, I've, it's it's not gratifying being hurt, and it's not gratifying being sore um, and and losing. But if you if you did everything that you could and laid it on the line and weren't, didn't didn't back down from from intimidation from yourself or get in your own head or injuries and i'm i'm a happy person i'm completely proud of of who i am what i've done and and what i and how i and how i went for and, and tried to tackle the the event that's your attitude it seems like you want to go as big as you can off the biggest obstacle and and you're also quoted as saying you know going big never goes out of fashion and i i agree it's like style on a moto or on a downhill bike doesn't really go out of fashion winning a race you forget but style and going the biggest off you know that drop you've got the biggest step down backflip things like that i mean that you just kind of never forget that yeah thank you thank you for the compliments i mean that yeah that's the that's the goal of trying to be like danny way or or pastrana or or carry hard or any any of the like even even colin winkleman and doing long jumps on bmx bikes and um, but the, like when Red Bull Elevation came out, that was 10 times more exciting than any, any dirt, normal dirt jump contest up until that point. Cause they're just bigger and there's more style. And that's why Brandon Fairclaw is more famous than, than most of the racers out there, even though he's, he's not winning and it's, yeah, the style and going big are, are timeless. And the, the new tricks that come out this year, I mean, they'll be gnarly for a while, but they'll, they'll be rendered mediocre as soon as the the bunch of the new tricks come out and i think there's eventually a plateau but then then at that point it turns slowly into gymnastics and that kind of that kind of stuff is what kind of drew me away from slope style and the lack of of i don't know personality you can put on it uh by different lines and, and options but that's uh that's where i also love just the the whole freedom of, of filming and at rampage you can do whatever you want. You can, you can go as big as you want. You can, if you're dreaming up an open loop, like Reed Boggs and you can build it there. Like you can do anything that you want to do at any time. Hold on a sec. Wave is asking. Okay. Hey, some some dude can't, is coming by to buy a dirt jump bike. Can I call you back in like ten? <laughs> no worries, dude. All good. All right, we just had to take a quick break. Can Zink had to sneak out and go sell one of his hard, <laughs> old hardtails. <laughs> yeah. Cam, that's nice. I hope you got some cash in the bank for some beers. Yeah. We were talking about how you know style and going big just never goes out of fashion. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you're going to devote your life to the endless pursuit of the next trick, 
or just like Tyler Berriman looking stylish and doing whips and, and then going big, like, I think it's a pretty easy decision for me. Um, I guess it's, it's kind of funny cause like just going big and, and normal style, like usually aren't too like, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's almost like the trifecta to where there's like the, the trick progression and then the style and then going big. But, um, the, the trick progression has never really been too influential on me. And, or I guess I just haven't been too influenced by the new tricks. There's just certain ones that I really appreciate. And I don't know, I remember talking with Mitch about it and I forget how he worded it, but it was, it, it gave me a nice bit of affirmation that, that like you don't have to do every trick and there's certain ones that are kind of whack and not your personality. And it's, it's super important to stick to your, your core identity and, and who you are. Uh, he summed it up in just a couple words, but it was, it, I think there's a lot, a lot that goes with that to where it's, you, you gotta, you gotta be your own rider and you can't just follow and follow the crowd and do what everyone else is doing. Um, I think that's why the, Ethan Nell and DJ and, and, um, Jackson, uh, Jackson Riddle and these kids are, are making such a bigger name than the random slope style rider in Europe, you know, that can do every new gnarly trick, but like the, the few guys that are having good style and going out and riding big mountain and, and doing something unique and, and putting their own little mark on the sport. And it's, it's so much more intriguing and satisfying to watch than someone doing the same trick, no matter how hard it is. Um, it's like I said, it's just kind of, it's kind of gymnastic style. And that's what's kind of steered me away from slope style. I think the last one I did was 2016 and I really enjoy watching slope style. I absolutely love watching it, but as a writer, I didn't really have that much interest in it uh, anymore when it just got the, it was just more bar spins, more toes, more spins, more. Um, I like the, I like the simplicity of the bigger tricks that I, that I appreciate more and the ones that are, are timeless and, and I guess just trying to, trying to have the style. Well, I mean, you've definitely been pushing the sport. I mean, where does the thing like going for this world record backflip a couple of years ago, I mean, where does that come from? I don't know. That's, that's just the natural progression of trying to not pigeonhole yourself and trying to stay open-minded and goes back to just trying to take advantage of your own strengths. And I remember um, Joe Parizo flipped. There was this this dirt to dirt jump at Woodward in Tehachapi, and it was sixty feet dirt to dirt. And in that time, no one had been flipping sixty feet. It was before the mega ramp. And I mean, essentially, I think that'd be a world record. Um, and he flipped it on a hard tail. And I'm like, man, that looks so sick so then i got a chance to go down there and filmed it for new world disorder 10 i think and and i flipped it and it was felt really good like it's there's super high consequences but it's something that that i identified with and immediately like i absolutely loved it one of the cooler feeling acts on a bike that i i've ever i've ever experienced and just how smooth it is and it's just peaceful and it's like it's laying a lot on the line but it there's it's not forced you know it's, it feels so natural and i'm like man 60 feet was pretty chill on a slope style bike like and at that time i was riding a felt is a nxc bike that you know 
because there weren't really any like built slope style bikes that are dedicated to it. They were just kind of modified XC bikes. I think besides the trick and I'm like, man, if we, if you built it right and you had a downhill bike and, um, it was built for flipping and, and long distance, I think that you could easily go a hundred feet. So, and I, what if I, I started to seek out some options to try to get the opportunity to be able to do it. And cause that kind of, that kind of thing is, is it's, it's a huge undertaking and you need, you need to land the support prep people to help you and and it, it definitely takes a village and so what i forget the 2015 to the 14 um so that was so the we'll backtrack from the mammoth flip which was 2014 the yeah that was your world record in 2014 but before you go into that it's you've just called flipping something 60 foot as pretty chill or peaceful. <laughs> I'm not sure the listeners, I don't think the listeners at home would agree that backflipping something at 60 foot or even backflipping is peaceful, but that just shows your mental attitude. You think it's peaceful to be upside down in a 60 foot gap. Yeah, I think that's that's where, uh, when I heard a good quote yesterday, they actually, with, with Monster, they had a this doctor, um, I gotta look up his name so anyone else can look. I guess he's written a lot of books, but he we did a, a three-hour or an, like an hour-long con- conference call. Uh, his name is Doctor Kevin Elko, and and he's a motivational speaker and Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, and and all sorts of college football teams and Alabama, some of the most winning winningest teams in the world. Um, he said, "I wasn't built for the calm. I was built for the storm," but. It, that resonated with me because I feel like one of the greatest experiences and, and my, my favorite moments in my life have been being calm during a storm, you know, like being, I, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, to have the perfect quote that's going to, everyone's going to identify with, but to it, yeah, it resonated with me because I feel like I'm built for the storm and I love, you know, living living in the storm and living in, in the gnarly moments, um, and not just being able to relax. But the irony of it is that to, when you are relaxed during those moments, your mind's more focused and you're, you're able to achieve the goals at a far higher likelihood. And so to be able to remain calm during the storm is, is the greatest moments of, of my life, like far none. But then talk more more about that, uh, what's going through your mind and how you stay calm before a world record attempt. And for the listeners at home, we're talking about 2014 and Cam managed to backflip over 100 foot. So talk to us about like the moments before dropping in to, to pull that off. I think it's just focusing on the task at hand. I mean, there's the, the fear and any sort of self-consciousness or a- anything that you've that you could possibly have running through your head is only going to take away the bandwidth and, and essentially equate it to like a computer, be like running a bunch of programs at the same time. When you, when you only have one you're using, it's going to slow it down and it's not going to work as efficient. So to try to remove all other thought processes from your brain, besides the task at hand, which is muscle memory. Uh, you've been riding your bike for a long time. You, you know how it works, you know, 
you know, the speed, you've done your prep, you've done all the, the leg work up to this point, And then it's essentially trying to just go on autopilot because you know how to do it. You've, you've done the prep and, and you know that you're qualified to, as soon as you've made up your mind that it's possible, then you have to alleviate all the other stresses. And it's a, uh, it's a pretty cool place to be. That's like the, the proverbial zone that, that people say that they get into. And there's been only a couple moments my life. And I remember, I think Michael Jordan or someone said that too, that if you're, people always talk about the zone, like get, got to get in the zone and, and there's a different levels of consciousness and, and, and focus, but like being in the zone to where you have all this or norepinephrine in your head and you got like all these chemicals to where you just almost black out and you're hyper-focused, like the, the real zone happens like I think he said he's been in it to and forgive me if it wasn't Michael Jordan, but famous athlete in ball sports was saying he's, he's only been in that zone and two to three times in his whole life. And um, I feel the same way. Like that was that was definitely one of them. That was one of the moments to where I pretty much blacked out and landed right away. And I was like, it's all over. Like I did it like it. Not too much memory of it. Just fist bump. I was fortunate to be able to get Taylor Sage as the top filmer for dropping in and Kyle was following me for the live helmet cam. And it's, uh, it's pretty special place to like to, to be able to get them on that. And just three dudes hanging up top and Sage is like, just another flip dude. And gave them both fist bumps. And then, uh, gave Gary Taylor a fist bump. Who's who helped uh, orchestrate the whole deal. He works at mammoth, super good dude, but just the four of us hanging out there and just like sayonara rode down and, um, a lot of prep went into that, but it was, it was easy. Like when it, when the time came to, to roll in, uh, with all the, you know, that's using all the experiences I've had since I was a kid and riding a bike and learning all the ropes. And it's a yeah, pretty special place to be to where it just not autopilot and just happen. It kind of, you're just almost a passenger. It's just your, your subconscious and your muscle memory and everything just take over. Yeah, I mean, you're preparing for that jump, as you say, for your whole life. And I mean, pushing the limit doesn't come without consequences. And at that time, you had the world's biggest 360 drop record, the world's longest bicycle straight air, the longest backflip over 100 foot, three-time rampage best trick, and the most Red Bull podiums. But we can't speak about those feats without some of the crashes and adversity you've gone through. And, and they, I think we could do a whole podcast on some of your injuries and and the adversity you've gone to, but there are lots pop to mind. Do you have one that, that sticks out? I mean, for me, looking back, doing the research, that Canyon crash of 2012, mm -hmm. I mean, that must have knocked the sails or the wind out of your sails, confidence-wise. A little bit. I mean, it's that's that was, a, that was definitely a series of unfortunate events. Like, I jumped it uh, a few times, and it was, you know, the first time's always the gnarliest, but it was... It worked. It worked really well. I remember McCall got kicked over the bars on it, or he cased, and then, um, and then he went over again, and then like kind of landed front wheel and like almost like nose wheelied out, and it was. But when I remember, I just just was so focused on winning. Like that was when I was returning champ, but they had a, a year break, so I was it was two years after and win in 2010. But I was like, I'm the returning champ. I'm winning. Like so dedicated and focused that. When uh, he was messing up on it, I just like I I 
blocked it out and was riding it really well. And uh, Evan at SRAM, we, we switched my shock and went up to do one last run and rode all the way in from the top night before finals. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe the rebound was a little different than my previous shock. Who knows? Maybe like, maybe I was too relaxed. Um, maybe. And then I think the biggest thing was there huge, like tons of sun in my eyes coming up the lip. And then you can't, it's not like it's blocking you from seeing the gap or what's going on, but it, it shades the whole transition and you bait, no matter if you've hit the jump before, you're still, there's always processes that are going autonomously going through your head of like the transition of the jump and the takeoff and the ending angle and how hard you're going to hit it and how much your suspension is going to compress. It's all always going through your head, whether you want to or not. And then when it's just black, um, I think that that was, that's just what kind of ended up throwing me, uh, went in a little bit faster and then not being able to see a transition and maybe different shock, who knows, but it was, you got to just remember, chalk it up as, um, kind of put in more prep and, and stay, you know, keep your wits about you because the little, the little things like that can add up and then, um, it can bite you. And that's super fortunate on that. Cause I just, I just bruised my heel and, to where I couldn't ride the next day. Like I just having a really hard time walking and I still was so close to hiking up the hill and riding it, but I tried going off a little two foot drop morning practice and everyone's jaws are on the floor that I was even on my bike like 10 hours after that crash or 12 hours after the crash. And then, um, but I, I couldn't even keep my cranks flat. So if I would have gone off the jump again, it would have like, you know, would have buckled twice as hard. So that, that was, you know, part of the game you can't you want to play the game but you can't cry when the game plays you <laughs> yeah i mean dude you've been through so much adversity and i mean looking back i i uh i hope everyone can go out there and watch your documentary reach for the sky it is on youtube that's where i found it so i hope it was legally out there and if it's not go buy it because it's worth every cent um i appreciate I remember that watching that yeah, I remember watching it actually with you in Mexico, funny enough, for the first time. And uh, yeah, I mean, everyone can watch what sort of adversity that you've been through and pushing back. And, and at times, doctors telling you you couldn't ride, but I think you know deep down if you can and if, you, if you're going to do it. Do you think looking back now, you've potentially pushed your body a little bit far or hard in some of those circumstances? Not necessarily. I think that I, I honestly feel far better. I'm 34 years old and I feel far better than I anticipated. Um, I've been working on my knees and trying to like get the normal flexion down. Cause after a knee surgery, they'll be adamant about getting them dead straight and, and being able to get that movement back, but they don't really care about the flexion, like putting your heel toward your butt. Um, they don't, it's, it's not really a top of the priority list. So those always, that movement always suffered, for example, and I haven't had a knee surgery in over 10 years. Um, but I started working on that. Now my knees, I have better flexibility in my, in my knees, my legs than I have since I was 18. So I think the knee surgery is pretty much, or ACL and meniscus and all that is one of the worst things that you can do. One of the worst injuries, um, besides the, the obvious paralysis or, or major head injuries. But, um, as far as just a, a normal, uh, orthopedic surgery or, or injury, I think that it takes the cake and cause they just take so long to come back from. And, uh, I know that you, 
your knee will never be the same as your, as it was from your normal anatomy from birth. But I feel like I'm pretty fortunate to have, uh, I can run. Um, I don't really care to run, but I, I run sometimes just cause I can like, um, super stoked that I'm able to actually, like I've had, I've had six knee surgeries, four ACLs and meniscuses and bone transplants and stuff from my pelvis to replug the holes and on and on. So I feel extremely fortunate the fact that I even can do what I'm doing and it doesn't really inhibit me. You know, I think just as you get older, you got to recover a little bit more and maybe some ice baths and try to sit in the sauna and try to, um, you know, pick and choose your battles a little more and take a little more time off and rather than just going at it for six hours a day. But, um, I feel far better at 34 than I, than I ever thought I would. Well, that's surprising to hear, but I mean, that's testament to, to your work and preparation and looking after your body. Talk to me about the, the balance you now have or I'm forced to have. Um, you're a family man, dedicated family man, as well as trying to push the limits of your sport um, and progressing that. How do you balance that when you've got your, your wife and your kids growing up and you, you're still having to focus on these huge events like Rampage or going for world record? I, th- I think I'm in a, in a really, really good position to where I'm able to live off my aim a little bit. And if I wanted to, I think I could coast, you know, but it's not who I want to be. And I don't, I don't want it. Nothing, nothing against Hans or, or some of those dudes, but I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to ride for a job. You know, I want to ride because I still have something to provide for the sport and I still have things I can bring to the table and, and still progress and, and show people, um, how to ride a bike better. And, and also just the, like I'm teaching these things for uh, stompsessions.com. They have Chris Cole for skateboard and Josh Kerr for surfing. And, and I'm the the mountain biker and it's online tutorials like masterclass and like that stuff's super fun and, and really proud to be a part of it. But the, the main goal is still to, to try to show what mountain biking can be. I, well, it's mountain biking is in a great spot. Now it's, it's, it has a far better public per- perception. It's it's more accessible. Bikes are cheaper than, than I was when I was like 15 years ago. Bikes are cheaper now, you know. And there's more trails. There's more information out there. There's there's more videos, and uh, so just the sport being in a better spot is uh, is a huge thing. But that's always been one of my biggest goals is to try to elevate the sport and make it is and show people how cool we always known it was, you know, even when it wasn't really a force of a you know, mix between action sports, actor, outdoor sports, or, you know, whatever like category you want to label it. It's always been, uh, been kind of its own thing, but it, it didn't have, um, what it does now. And I think that's just the, the overall draw of, of being just a, the coolest sport. I think it's the coolest sport in the world. And, and now it's finally starting to get that recognition and that and that perception from the average person. Um, but that's yeah, that's always been a, a huge goal of mine to elevate it and and now produce videos and with the different assets and and things we have at our fingertips with YouTube, trying to grow an audience there to where then I can I can just put out whatever content I want and not have to try to get it funded by someone else or rely on anyone else. You can just kind of make your own destiny and it's pretty sweet time to be an athlete because 
you it's if you equate it to a business and you you want to go vertical you know you want to go direct and and take out the middleman and if you can create your own content you can hire your own filmers you can have your own social you you know you're you're having your own your average you're like a marketing service you have you run in your own shop and you have all these different outlets to where you're actually quantifiable as an athlete not just some team manager doesn't really understand what you're doing but then they look at the numbers like okay this is a viable asset for us and and to have those things at, at our fingertips to, and to take advantage of them is is pretty cool because then he just puts you in the driver's seat. You can essentially do what you want. Like we're planning some trips to the Middle East right now, and it might might not happen due to the, the virus, but uh, I have a few really big projects planned that wouldn't really be possible years ago. And to be able to utilize your resources, and, and there's more resources now than ever. You've always been switched on, um, you know, mixing business with your career. And now I know you you kind of said you're going to focus more on your writing, get the most out of it. But speaking of that, I mean, it's great that you see what how the sport's changing. You can be your own brand. You can really push it through YouTube, which you're doing. The documentary is great. But in the past, it wasn't always like that. I mean, you've been burned by sponsors more than I think anyone in the sport and unfairly as well you won in 2010 you won rampage on no money from a bike sponsor i mean that in itself just saying that statement is ridiculous so you haven't always had the easiest road but you've kind of seemed to always back yourself and i think that's a lesson to the kid to to just believe in yourself and back yourself yeah i heard a a good a stat that the biggest commonality of successful entrepreneurs or or small business owners in New York City is dyslexia. And it's pretty wild here, but the it just coincides with the obstacles the way and you know the every every bit of adversity has opportunity. Um, and you just learning, you know, the easier path and people being like trust fund babies being miserable and on and on. It's just if you if you have to overcome adversity and you have to kind of cut your own teeth, um, then you have you become a stronger person, you become a happier person, and you became able to to overcome more tasks, the things that you could never be prepared for, um, or even know that were even going to become a problem in your life. You'll be you'll be far more equipped to be able to tackle them. Um, more adversity you have to overcome, and um, pretty pretty fortunate to be where I'm at. I guess after all the the injuries and things like that, it's uh, yeah, truly truly fortunate to be comfortable and have two amazing kids and and a loving wife that doesn't have to work and uh my own my own land where i can build whatever i want i have 170 acres to where i'm actually trying to work on uh, further world records trying trying to flip 150 feet we'll see if it's possible but it's trying to i I have all the all the tools in the toolbox and i'm extremely fortunate for it Extremely grateful. Yeah, go check out Cam's YouTube. I watched one of your videos when you had that horrific crash and you just get back up again. So as much as you've had achievements and success, you've had equal or more just heartache and adversity and unfair justice from sponsors. So, I mean, that's such a great lesson. Thanks for sharing that with us. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, you've really kind of dug it out in the dirt. 
And then you're also giving back. I read a bit about the non-profit trail building company you're backing or starting. Can you talk just a little bit about that? It's just Rad Trails. It's a 501c3 tax-free uh, non-profit, um, not looking to pull any money from it and just looking to, I guess, leave the sport a better place than we found it. And I think the biggest thing I can bring to the table is educating people on on jumps and showing people the proper way how to build jumps and and essentially how fun they are. And that's what's what excites a lot of people and what keeps them coming back and the highlight of their trail ride and how they can be mixed in with just normal, normal trails. And it's been a couple of years since I started it, but we've really only been operating for about a year, about a year and a half now. And we've built some trails in Florida and, and Missouri and, uh, we got some close to home, and now we're working with Wendell's snowboard camp to orchestrate their whole mountain bike program to build the training grounds, build the trails. I like the airbag setup, the mulch setup, and uh, actually help provide coaches for the camps and and instruction. So it's it's a some I'm super proud of. It's babe, she <laughs> just keeps walking in. That's great, yeah, but it's a family podcast. It's good. <laughs> Keep it going, man. There's been like ten they've walked in like ten times. Anyways. <laughs> that's the balance. that's trying to have a balance with a career and a family and Dude, there's no peace. There's no peace at all. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's something that I'm 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 extremely I have a friend, Cody Wilkins. He used to be on the free ride world tour for skiing and super good mountain biker. Uh, he lives in Bellingham, Washington. He's a really good trail builder and he's the, essentially the director and, and running the show for me. And it's been, been really cool. It's been pretty incredible to see how big mountain biking is in places to where there's relatively no mountains, provide some trails and, and advice and, and building techniques to where people can have a better time on their bike and, uh, truly like without sounding redundant, a uh, way to get back. And, and I just, yeah, I think that the people's perception of jumps is, is it's on, it's on the right track of, of being acceptable, but it's for the long, you know, the majority of people think that a gnarly rock section is okay, but then a jump, even if it's a safe tabletop is is too dangerous or they, or they just immediately shut it down. But we've been working with, um, rangers and, and the parks and the County and, and in different, different States. And, um, even here in, in Nevada, bordering California, which is probably the most strict, uh, guidelines and, uh, for the forest service and the rangers, but, um, we've gone to some meetings and I think we're, I think we're on the right track. I think that, that trails can, trails can be different and they can be more fun and have more jumps and features in them, but still remaining safe and progressing and, and making the sport more fun. Well, that's exciting to hear and uh, more power too. I think the more trails out there, the better. And I think the sport is in such a cool, healthy place. Like you say, there's full-time trail builders. You've got this nonprofit going. I want to shift gears a bit and, and I hope you've got some fun untold stories for me. Have you got anything that pops to mind from life on the road? You know, it can be a little bit PC to, you know, we've got kids that are aspiring to follow in your footsteps, so we don't want to lead them down too much of the wrong road. It's kind of funny because the one that I think of was 
probably just because of talking to you as um, junior world champs. Um, you think you would have been, you would have been an elite. Um, I was I think I was 17 and uh, in Switzerland, Lugano. Yeah. Yeah. That was a uh, first real experience going to nightclubs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's we, Henry, Henry and I essentially got in a fight with about 20 Italian Swiss people um, getting chased. And then we finally connected back with all you guys in Kavarik and stuff. And it was a, it was a scene for sure. <laughs> and then, and then we went went to one of the bars and then it was broken glass everywhere. And they're just sweeping it to the sides of the room. And uh, I was like, this is Europe. This is crazy. <laughs> this is what they do. People just break glasses and, and party till the sun comes up and it's all good. Totally normal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. you're 17 and in America, you're going to be 21 and Europe, I think they start, giving you beer at, at 13 and, and kind of easing you into the whole scene there. But we're not a proponent of it. But look, let's be fair. You guys are modern day just gladiators and it's action sports and you play hard, party hard and work hard, you know? Yeah, I agree, man. I think that there's the the beer at the end of the day or whatever it might be. I mean, it's just your soda or bubble water or whatever. Like you got to have little rewards for yourself and – and I mean, the the stress from a week out in the desert or ten days out in the desert at Rampage, then to be able to to just hang out with your boys that you've essentially gone to battle with and and have some beers is is definitely one of the the greatest and gratifying rewards. <laughs> yeah, I want to play a little game. If you could take a skill from any other rider, like what would it be and why? Probably Sam, dude. Sam Hill, the, his ability to push a bike past what anyone thought was possible. I mean, that's a, I don't know, dude. That's something that I can't really comprehend. And it's, it's, it's something, dude. I remember that year, that year in Switzerland, actually. I was 17 or 16, and he was 18. And he won junior. He was in juniors. Him and G went one, two. And that was the year Greg won, uh, won elite. And he won, he beat G by 10 seconds with a crash. And even with that crash in junior, he would have been two seconds off of Greg, I think, which is, uh, pretty remarkable it just shows how different things different things were back then. like i remember kyle got 11th at world cup when he was 17 and there was no junior class then and like it was uh god dude i i remember riding up the chairlift and seeing sam go down one of the sections and i couldn't believe it like i and then it's kind of funny i remember hearing ec and maybe yeah, EC said the same thing he literally yeah. i thought you were quoting him but he said the same thing that section under the lift yeah, dude, I, I remember seeing that, that uh, it was in one of Clay's movies, right? But I, I remember riding up the lift and being like, I'm riding and racing against this fucking guy? Are you shitting me? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was incredible. I mean, there's, he's like the James Stewart of, of mountain biking, and he has, he has more titles than James does in the elite, but like, which shows that he was able to keep off the ground a little bit more, but like James's wins versus titles is is you know 
far different because he's just either checkers or records. But Sam was kind of like that. But at the same time, like he just he was the pinnacle and he was he was the guy that if he was on his game was no one could touch him, you know, and, and was it truly leveled up the sport. Like, I really appreciate you assimilate me into that, like for the free ride side, but for racing, like racing wouldn't be where it is without Sam. No, that's no true statement has been said. And I mean, I normally then pick uh, a rider for each of these next categories to build a perfect rider. But, you know, the way you've described that, we'll just give that your view of that is Sam Hill in his heyday. And that if you guys can Google 2003 Lugano World Champs and, and some of the footage, you'll get to see that. I'll try a link in some of the description. But Cam, I mean, you've spoken about your idols looking up to these guys Um does it ever cross your mind that people are going to be looking up to you for how you progress this sport and talking about some of those feats? It's hard to it's hard to realize that like really really <laughs> realize it and and because it I've have kids tell me all the time like like parents and stuff and and just people reaching out and it's hard to really conceptualize that people do but it's uh it's what it comes with great responsibility you know to try to you know i can only father my kids but to be a positive role model for anyone that's watching is is definitely the goal and try to be a a good influence and um but also not try to fall into the mold of what just a standard human should be you know i'm uh you don't you don't have to follow and roll and 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 take in one person's footsteps you know so what i can bring to the table is is me being me and and trying to be the unfiltered unique version of me but also um but not not trying to sugarcoat it but just trying to be a better person try to be the best person and role model that i can and and rider that i can um show people to take risk and it's all worth it and the uh, the juice is worth the squeeze, so you gotta you gotta you gotta push hard, and you, and you get you get out what you put in, and um, yeah, just try to try to be the best person I can now, not just try to portray a different version of myself just so that it looks more appealing to to the youth, or uh, just try to try to do better tomorrow than you are today. Man, I think that's a perfect way to end this episode. And I had a, an absolute whale of a time speaking to you, and I actually learned a lot. So it's a humble way of looking at Cam. And thanks so much for your time and, and what you've able to give to the sport. So I look forward to many more years to come to see how you can progress it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll be on the lookout for, um, for new trails from Census Rad Trails, um, a brand Census. We've been putting a little more time in it. We've got some new products coming out soon. Um, it's just the census.com and yeah, man, got some, got some, um, a big film project this year, uh, called the sandbox at my own 170 acre sandbox of trying to, trying to break a couple records there, but also mainly put together my best video part of, of my life. And hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to, to still be, <laughs> be able to turn the heads of all the young kids and, and, and show sure that i still got it i guess (laughs) well great guys look out for cam on youtube and instagram along the way and his brand centers so thanks again cam thank you man it's a pleasure talking to you hopefully we get to catch up in person soon yeah cheers mate cheers bro a big thanks goes out to cam for making the time to come on i think it's safe to say he will go down as a true legend of the sport 
He's clearly showing no signs of slowing down. Thanks for tuning in. If you get your podcasts on Apple or Spotify or wherever else, please leave us a review. Share it if you like the show. Send me a message. I'd like to know what you liked and disliked. Then we can make improvements from there. Till next time, stay well.